much of a direction follower when it comes to getting things that you have to build. I don't know about you, but even when I was a kid, I'd buy a model, and I'd look at the picture, and I would think, I could build that. And so I'd break it out, and I'd just start cutting stuff and gluing stuff, and then realize that there's an order that things have to be done. Have you ever done that before? You build the engine, and you're like, doesn't fit now because I already glued the, the hood shut. Right? So that's the problem, right? It's important that you actually like, follow the instructions. I, I remember one year, my kids... At Christmas time, my wife and I would always try to like have one gift that was a bigger gift. And so each of the three of them would get one kind of big deal gift. And then we'd kind of, you know, intersperse it with other stuff. But one year, Jansen, Mikey, Bailey, they all got their big deal gift. And usually what would happen on, is on Christmas Eve, we would go home after our Christmas Eve service. And I would turn into Bob the Builder, right? So I'd have to build the things because we couldn't build them any sooner. Our house was too small. So I, so I started, did Jansen's. I finished Mikey's. And then it came to Bailey's. We bought Bailey a bike. Bailey had wanted a bike. She was needing a bike. It was her thing. And she was, I remember even a couple of days before Christmas, Daddy, do you think I'll get a bike for Christmas? And I'm like, honey, I don't know. I don't know. I knew all along. It was in the closet. She's like, I, I don't know. Right? So Christmas Eve, sitting in our living room, open up the bike. Now, I was a kid. When I was a kid, I used to build bikes all the time. Piece of cake, man. It was my thing. I knew that it was going to be like a NASCAR pit crew. I was going to have hers done in a minute. So I break it open. I get the, the pink handlebars with the frilly things coming off the sides. Check. Right? Get the seat. Put it on. White. Check. Tires. Put those on. I mean, I'm 10 minutes. I'm done. Comes to the pedals. Right pedal. Check. Left pedal. Go to put it on. It's not going on. I can't figure it out. I mean, I built bikes. How hard could it possibly be? So I get there, and I'm like, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. I'm trying to put the left pedal on. It's just not, come on, man. I'm just going crazy, right? It's been an hour now. My wife's like, you're not done yet? I was like, hey, back off, right? <laughs> so, so we're going to get it done. You need any help? Wives, never ask your husbands if they need any help, for the record, all right? Just, just kidding. <laughs> ask them. But nevertheless, because we need it, trust me. Anyway, so she says uh, something like, did you read the instructions? Yeah, yeah. Don't ever say that to your husband. But nevertheless, it was said, I, 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 I decided the pedal wasn't going on, so it needed a little persuasion. So like any good, impatient man, I got a hammer, right? I was going to get that pedal to work. So I go putting it on there, kawam, kawam, right? Getting it on there, right? The best I can. And then I come to find out that the left pedal is reversed threaded. In other words, it's not righty-tighty, lefty-loosely. It's lefty-tighty, righty-loosey. Stripped it off. Translation, my daughter woke up to a one-pedal bike for Christmas <laughs> and a note that said, sorry, I bumped it on the way down the chimney. Your dad will have to return it in the morning. <laughs> Honest to goodness truth. How are you with following instructions? How are you with following the rules? How are you with getting what you're supposed to do, doing what you got, and then walking it out like you're supposed to walk it out. Are you like me where you kind of say, ah, thanks for the tip, God. I'll take it from here. Or do you walk it all the way through the way that we're supposed to walk it all the way through? I want to start a three-week series entitled Next. I call it Next because I want us to help, I want to help you figure out what's next in your journey with Christ. I want to help you figure out how to take the next step in your walk with Jesus. I want to help you figure out how to, to know what's next. Now, you might say, I've walked with Jesus for a long time. 
Clearly, this series is not for me. I'm here to tell you, because you've walked with Jesus for a long time, it's imperative that you know what's next for you. And it's imperative that you know what's next not only for you, but for someone you're walking with. Next. I want to talk to you about what the next steps are in our walks with Jesus. Will you join me as we pray for this time? God, thanks for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're not messing around, that you know what's next. Help us to see what's next in our life, God. We need you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm always amazed at how many, how many people know what God is saying, but have no idea what God is saying. I'm always amazed at how many people come up to me in the course of any given week and say this phrase, God told me. I'm always amazed at how many people come up in the course of any given week and drop a phrase, God told me. God told me to sell my business. God told me to leave that church. God told me to start this church. God told me to sell my car, get but this, to do the that, over and over. I'm amazed at how many people come up to me and drop the God told me phrase. Now, it's true, God speaks to us. Can you say amen? The Bible says, the sheep who know me hear my voice. How many know there's a big gap between hearing his voice and actually listening? Right? I'm always amazed at how many people come to me and say they heard God tell them something. But yet I find that some of those same people are the same ones that come up to me when life gets hard and say, I just want to hear the voice of the Lord and I don't know how. So, so here's what I want to tell you. This isn't part of the message. This is just a, by the way, write this down in your notepad on your phone. I believe 95 to 97% of the will of God is very clear already in the Bible. You want to know what God wants you to do, 95 to 97% of it already written. That's like most. Really, there's only about 3 to 5% that you got to pray about. Everything else, already written. You don't even have to pray. You don't have to pray to go to church. You don't have to pray to stay married. You don't have to pray to give. You don't have to pray to serve. You don't have to pray to, you say it, right? I mean, it's all in the Bible already. Come on. It's the 3 to 5% that we struggle with. So, so here's what I do, because I'm a pastor, and I've been a pastor for, gosh, 27 some odd years. Right? Here's what I do. Because I can't hear the voice of God clearly myself, you do, some of you do really well. I have a hard time with it, because the Bible that I read says, I see through a glass dimly. So I came up with three questions that help me with the other 3 to 5%. These three, these, three questions, uh, these three questions I write down, they're in my journal, I know exactly where they are. These three questions I ask myself to help me figure out what the next three to five percent are. Here's what they are. Did you do the last thing God asked you to do faithfully? Right? I, did you do the last thing well? Did you do the last thing he asked you to do well? Why? Because God's never going to give you the next thing until you finish the last thing. Right? So, some of you are still mad at God because he's not giving you the next thing. My question to you is, did you do the last thing? Did you finish up the last thing he asked you to do? If not, go finish the last thing and he'll help you get the next thing. Right? Number one, did you do the last thing he asked you to do? Number two, what, does those over you, what did those over you and the Lord say about it? If you're going to make a decision, should I buy the car? Should I leave the church? Should I go off to the whatever, sell my business? Get some counsel. Right? And I say this, right? There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, right? But I would also say, but there's not always, <laughs> not every counsel has a multitude of wisdom. Pick smart people that love Jesus. 
What are those over you in the Lord say? What are you, those people? It could be your pastor. It could be your life group leader. It could be your accountability partner. Somebody in your life that you're saying, I don't know. Did I do the last thing God asked me to do? Number two, what are those over you in the Lord that you've entrusted your life with say about that decision? And then number three, what do you want to do? Do that. By the way, they must go in that order. Problem is, is oftentimes we start with number three first. What do I want to do? We talk people into what we think we want to do, and then we just say, God, eh, you'll figure it out. See, I'm always amazed at the instructions, right? God gave us some really clear instructions in the Bible. 95 to 97% of what we're supposed to do is in the Bible. And yet very few of us actually have a, a devoted time in our lives to reading it and to allowing it to read us and to spending time devotionally in the Scriptures. I want to help you figure out what's next in your life. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Deuteronomy. The next steps to do. The next things in life. The book of Deuteronomy, I love, I love the Bible. Man, the more I read the Bible, the more I love it. The book of Deuteronomy. This particular passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Is it 10? Deuteronomy chapter 10 is this passage of Scripture where the children of Israel basically were finishing up in this tour of duty in the desert. 40 years in the desert. 38 plus a few hanging out there, trying to figure out. They're getting ready to cross over from this desert land into the promised land. Everybody say promised land. Now remember when you read your Bible, always put New Testament glasses on, right? So we're, we're, we're a group of people who have been in Egypt 40 years ago in slavery and in bondage. They go for 40 years hanging out in arid, desert, dry, no-life desert, and they're on their way to promised land, right? Promised land. Promised land. Now remember, when you read your Bible, use the New Testament filter to view it. So in other words, when you read the New Testament, the, when you read the Old Testament, ask yourself, how does this apply to the New Testament? For example, in the Old Testament, the promised land was real estate. They were leaving the real estate of Egypt in bondage. They went to the real estate of the desert arid dryness, and they were headed to the real estate of the promised land. They were headed actually to a new place called Canaan. It was a new place across the river where they were going to inherit real estate, land. Well, if we were to say, what is the promised land for you and me, the New Testament believers? What is the promised land for us? Well, it can't be real estate. That's clearly not what God's talking about. How did the children of Israel acquire this real estate in the Old Testament? Here's how. They went across the really big raging river and they fought a bunch of really big giants in the land. And as they fought the giants, they began to possess their promise land. Right? That's how they did it in the Old Testament. Well, for you and me, the promised land of the New Testament, some people say, well, it's, it's like a picture of heaven. Let me tell you this. Truly, heaven is going to be amazing. But here's what I hope is not in heaven. A bunch of giants and fights. Right? So I don't think the promised land has anything to do with a picture of heaven. I think the promised land for New Testament believers has everything to do with the picture of, get this, spiritual maturity. I think the promised land for you and me is a process of crossing over some big body of something, leaving bondage in Egypt, and heading into maturity. What, what stands in the way of you in spiritual maturity? Giants, battles, raging rivers at flood stage. All of that stands between you and crossing over into a place of maturity. Amen? So when you read your Bible, we see the children of Israel crossing over into this promised land. They've just spent 40 years in the desert. 
Now let's start our journey. Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. It says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires you to fear him. He requires you to live according to his will, to love and worship him with all your heart and soul, and to obey the Lord's commands and laws that I'm giving you today for your very own good. Let me read it again. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? He requires of you to fear him, to live according to his will, to love worship uh, to, with all your heart and soul, to obey him and his commands and laws that he's giving you for your own good. So basically, he tells us this. Old Testament, he's telling the children of Israel, if you're going to cross over and possess your real estate, your promised land, there's five things that you need to do. Now keep in mind, God's not pleased with you because you do really good cartwheels one through five. He's not impressed with you by how well you can follow the rules and check the boxes. The truth is, we really would rather have that. We really would have the box checking because you can check boxes without relationship. And God would say, listen, I want relationship. But if you want relationship, notice these are all bathed in relationship. Do these things and you'll find an amazing sense of maturity in your promised land. Here's what he says, these five things. These are the requirements. These are the what's next. He says this, fear him, live according to his will, love him, worship him, and, and obey him for your own good. He says these five things, fear him, live according to his will, love him, worship him, and obey him. This morning, I want to spend just our last few minutes together this. I want to talk to you about the first of the requirements, the, the, the what's next, number one. No, what's next, number one? In other words, you've surrendered your life to Jesus you say to yourself, I no longer want to live by my own set of rules. I want to walk with his set of rules. And he immediately says, okay, then I'm going to send you to church today, and I'm going to tell you a message. Or maybe you've walked with Jesus for a long time. And he's saying to you who forgot what was next. And you just started living life, and you've been living life, and you've been, and you've been making up the rules as you go because, because you know what God's thinking. Because you've dropped the God told me so and not really looked into your Bibles about it. Maybe you just need to be reminded of what was next. Can I tell you what the Bible says it was next? Number one, fear the Lord. Say that with me, fear the Lord. Oh, come on now, say it again, fear the Lord. That's funny. It almost sounds politically incorrect. Fear the Lord. Doesn't it? It almost feels like that's wrong. Love the Lord, let the Lord love you. But fear of the Lord. It almost sounds wrong. It almost sounds like something you should remove from the Bible because it's not so fun. That's not the fun God. That's not the love God. It's the fear God. And almost like we want to remove that from scriptures because somehow that doesn't seem to, well, it's not very fun. Fear the Lord. It's amazing to me as a culture, we've stopped talking about the fear of the Lord. We emphasize his nearness, but we've forgotten his otherness. We love the God who forgives, but we reject the God who judges. We need the God of comfort, but we refuse the God of justice. The fear of the Lord. It's as if the God of love is somehow different than the God who's to be feared. Can I just tell you, the God of love is the same God. See, the problem is, is that we just don't understand the fear of the Lord. The, the problem isn't that God is to be feared or us 
uh, understanding. The, the problem is, is that we don't understand what the fear of the Lord is. See, the fear of the Lord has nothing to do with being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord has everything to do with something other than that. My children are not afraid of me, but my children fear me as their father. They're not afraid of me. They'll walk in on any meeting, walk in on any time. Trust me, they've done it all. There's no fear because there's always room with my daddy. But when it comes to it, they won't won't cross some line because they respect and honor me. My kids aren't afraid of me, but they fear me. See, God wants us to not be afraid of him, but he wants us to fear him. See, my, 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 my problem is, is that I think the church of Jesus Christ today doesn't fear God because we want him to be our buddy. We want him to be our pal. We want him to be our yes man. We want him to be our, come on now. We want him to be our Santa. And we want everything he could possibly do. Here's what we really want. We want all of God's blessings on our terms. We don't want anything to do with his terms. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and sound mind or self-discipline. Fear of God is an awesome respect, a reverence growing out of the great, the greatness and power of God. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord. Now, I could tell you a definition of the fear of the Lord like I just did. I could, I could extrapolate on that. I could go deeper and deeper on what the fear of the Lord is. But here's what I would rather do. I would rather tell you what the fruit looks like in your life when you fear the Lord. I would like to talk to you this morning about the fruit that shows up in the life of the one who fears the Lord for two reasons, right? Two reasons are this. One is because I want you to recognize and desire that fruit in your life. Oh, that's what happens when I fear the Lord. I get this fruit and that fruit and this fruit. There's two reasons. One, I want you to recognize the fruit that's for you. And second of all, I want you to recognize perhaps the fruit that's not happening. Because I want you to stop and say, maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm not having that fruit happen in my life. Amen? Or oh crud? <laughs> what will the fear of the Lord produce in your life? Number one, wisdom. Wisdom. Psalms 111 verse 10. In the message translation, the Bible says this. The good life begins in the fear of God. Do that and you will know the blessings of God. His hallelujah lasts forever. What happens when you fear the Lord? What will it produce in your life? Number two, a reminder of how little you actually know. Proverbs 1, 5 through 7 says this, the message translation. There is something here also for the seasoned men and women still having Still, I'm sorry, still a thing or two for the experience to learn. A fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate the rhymes and reasons of the wise men and women. That's us. Start with God or the fear of God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. What will the fear of the Lord produce in your life? Peace. Proverbs 10, 27. For the fear of the Lord lengthens one life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. What will the fear of the Lord produce in your life? A desire to give life away. Proverbs 14, 27 says this, The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. What will the fear of the Lord produce in your life? Fulfillment, purpose, and calling. 
Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord gives life security and protection from all harm. So I think the reason the church in America has a hard time with worship, with values, with money, with obedience, why? Is because I think we've lost sight of the fear of the Lord. I think we've lost sight of the fear of the Lord. That we really want God our buddy. We really want God our bro. We want God to come on. We want God the God of love, but we don't want the God of justice. See, church, I think to realize the, 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 the big problem in America today is that we've lost sight of the fear of God. That's why we have an obedience problem. See, listen, our goal is not to be obedient out of the fear of reproof. Uh, we're not to be obedient out of the fear of God's spanking. We're supposed to be obedient out of the love of what's right. Out of the love of what's right. Why should I trust God with my finances? Why should I trust God with my kids or my marriage or my church? Why, why, why should I trust God with my career? Why should I trust God? Because he's trustworthy. And every time I stick my hands in and try to figure it out and kind of straighten it out, I make a mess of stuff. The problem is, is we have an obedience problem. Because we think at the end of the day, it's up to us. It's up to us. The fear of the Lord is not an abusive God wanting you to be afraid of him. The fear of the Lord is not a tyrannical God demanding you to do things his way. The fear of the Lord is not a mindless requirement that disconnects you from the love of God. The fear of the Lord is far different than that. The Bible goes on to say that the fear of the Lord is the pathway to blessing. Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who fights the delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. goes on to say that the fear of the Lord is a method of keeping us from sin. Proverbs 16, 6. Though the love and faithfulness sin is atoned for, but through the fear of the Lord, man avoids evil. The fear of the Lord is an avenue of God's mercy. Luke 1.50 says this, is His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. It's no wonder we have a hard time in this connecting with God. I don't think you can really hear from God until you actually fear God. Because the, you, know, you know what it is? We are created as human beings to follow what we fear most. We follow what we fear most. God made us that way. Most of us fear our flesh more than we fear our God. We fear our flesh. We fear our flesh isn't going to be satisfied, so we don't do that. We fear our flesh won't get its own way, so then we don't go there. We feel our flesh won't get this or do that or have its whatever. Instead of saying, God, you know what? Not my flesh, but you. Your will be done. Aren't you glad Jesus feared God more than his flesh? Not my will, but yours be done, Father. Take this cup from me, but not mine, yours. You see, the problem with us is that we have a hard time hearing from the voice of the Lord because we have this, this crazy understanding that God can somehow just be, be answering all of our prayers our way. People have asked me before, does God answer every prayer? And I've heard pastor after pastor say, God doesn't answer every prayer. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not true. God answers every single prayer. Every time you pray, God answers your prayer. The problem is, is that sometimes he just says no. And if you've been a parent for eight seconds, no is a viable answer. Some, God, should I marry him? No. God, should I take that job? Uh-uh. Lord, should I move to that city? Nope. And so then we just try forcing everything we possibly can to do everything we can to make it all line up our way and then blame God for it when it doesn't work. Instead of fearing the Lord and saying, 
I'm not sure, God. It's not completely clear. So the answer for me is not now. How do you know that? He said, you asked God. You asked, did I finish the last thing you asked me to do? Those over me and the Lord say, and then what do I want to do? See, the problem is, is we don't fear God enough to be able to actually seek out the instruction manual and find out how he wants to do it. We fear our flesh more. I kind of hope that you realize that this isn't an easy message to preach nor receive. Here's what I'm hoping. You do realize, of course, that as your pastor, my job is not to feed you. My job is to equip you. As your pastor, my job is not to make you happy with me so that you can do what you're... My job is actually to train you in righteousness so that you can leave here and show up at your work. And when you, when you see two roads of decision in your way and you see the path of least resistance and you see the one that says fear God, and you say to yourself, I'm going to fear God, not the path of least resistance because easy isn't always right. Because you remember at church when you heard it on that Sunday that I'm going to fear God more than my flesh or man. Because the fear of God doesn't make any sense. Children of Israel cross this crazy big desert, hang out here for 40 years because you blew it anyway, and then walk into the promised land and fight a bunch of giants. By the way, you've never had any military experience whatsoever. You've been a bunch of slaves and farmers. Fight a big battle. And they were only able to do it. So how are you able to grow into your promised land, your area of maturity? Because you fear God more than you fear man. Hmm. I believe the fear of the Lord is the birthplace of obedience. The fear of the Lord is the birthplace of obedience. It's the place that we need to start. Hmm. It's interesting, that Christmas morning, Gailey got up. She saw her bike sitting there under the tree. She saw, she, saw, she saw Jansen getting all excited about whatever it was that he had, and Mikey, she got her big gift, and she saw this pink bike with tassels hanging off the handlebars and beautiful new tires and a beautiful seat. And, and, and pink as pink can be, because I was my little girl, she wanted that. And she looked down, and she saw one pedal on a bike and a note. You know, that day my heart broke. The day my heart broke. The reason my heart broke wasn't because I wasn't giving my daughter something special, because that was a really special bike. My heart broke is because the reason I was giving to her something that wasn't done right was because I didn't take time to follow the rules. She probably, she, I, she remembers. <laughs> she remembers. But I remember more. Because I remember the reason that I had to give my daughter a a gift that wasn't what it should have been was because I didn't listen. It was because I didn't follow the rules. It was because I wasn't fearing the instructions that were in front of me. See, I have a sense in my heart that some of you today are at a crossroads in your life. And you're, you're deciding on things that are, that are enormous. They're bigger than you know. And, and, and you're, you're, you're making decisions, rash or irrational. And, and you're, you're, you're saying to yourself in these moments, well, God told me so. And, and you're justifying that God told me is a bunch. And you haven't gone back to say what God told you to do. You haven't gone back to see what the Bible already says about it. You just, you just are go and you feel like you're in over your head. Some of you crossed that line 25 years ago and regretted it ever since. Can I just tell you that we serve a God of redemption? We serve a God that takes all things, all things, and works them to goodness for our life. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you know what all things means? 
It's, it's in the Greek. It means all things. It means your good choices, your bad choices. God can use them and work them all. When we fear him, when we say, God, it's you and not me. So, so in a minute, we don't do this very often, but, but I feel like I was supposed to do this today. And I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. And I'll level with you. I'm a little afraid to do it because I'm not so sure how the response will be. But I have this sense in my heart that I'm supposed to give you all a, a tangible way of agreeing that you need to fear the Lord. And that there are places in your life that you have not feared the Lord. But I'm supposed to give you some sort of a tangible response that says, from this day forward, I will do my best to walk in the fear of the Lord. And here's how I feel like we're supposed to do that. I feel like I'm supposed to invite you forward to come and kneel up on these stairs. Nothing magical about these stairs. There's nothing even spiritual about these stairs. They're just stairs with flowers on them. Carpet's not pretty. It's just what it is. But I feel like I'm supposed to invite you forward to a moment to kneel down and say, Pastor, you're right. I've not been fearing God, but I choose to today. I choose to step out in the fear of God because I've been fearing me more than I've been fearing him. So can I invite you to do that? We're just going to pray for you. We're not going to ask you to give a speech. So if you, want, if you want to say today, I want to fear God more than I've been fearing man. I want to fear God more than I've been fearing myself. Will you just come up here and kneel down? And we'll just pray for you. Amen? Come on. You know who you are. This is just between you and God. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But it's one of those things that when you take a tangible step to do something and that, that, that voice lies to you tomorrow afternoon and says, you know what, you should have, but you didn't. Come on, just come up and kneel down. This is for you. Says God, I'm just gonna trust you. I'm gonna fear you more than I'm gonna fear myself, more than I'm gonna fear that person. Anybody else? Awesome. of you, some of you who are sitting down, come, make your way up here and just put a hand on a shoulder and just pray for them. If you have a prayer language, just pray it out. Just pray your prayer language out over them. Come on, if you're sitting out there, be the church. Let's just lay hands on your brothers and sisters who are choosing to fear the Lord today. Maybe you don't feel qualified. It's okay. God didn't call you because you're qualified. He's going to qualify you because you're called. So come up here. Let's make sure everyone's got a hand laid on their shoulder. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. If you have a prayer language, just pray it out. Jesus, we just thank you right now for your amazing desire to help us to do more than just attend church. God, you've called us to be more than just goers of meetings. Lord, you've called us to fear you. If you're one who's been kneeling down, I want you to just say, Jesus, forgive me. Just forgive me for taking it on my own initiative to run my life. Forgive me, Jesus. I want to trust you with all that I am. 
This is a big decision. This isn't a half-hearted thing. This is a big deal. You stood up and walked down in front of your church and knelt down in front of everybody, and, and everyone's looking at you. This is you and Jesus. This fear of the Lord thing is between you and him, and you say, Jesus, it's about you. I give my life to you completely. I surrender. God, I want to fear you more than I fear my flesh. I want to fear you more than I fear the TV. I want to fear you more than I fear peer pressure. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, bring healing. Bring freedom. Lord, bring restoration in marriages. God, bring hope. Bring purpose, Lord, where there's been a lack of it. Lord, bring, bring, bring hope to that hopeless person. God, bring direction to that, that, that aimless person. Lord, bring provision to that person who's been trying their heart out for so long. And you're finally saying, will you just trust me? Lord, I pray that you help us to fear you more than that. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Can I, can I get you to look at me as you've been kneeling down? Can, can I tell you this? This will only be an exercise in some level of obedience if you don't respond to the next thing God asks you to do. In other words, between, because this is what happens. You say, God, I'm going to trust you. And then God says, okay, how about this? All right, so whatever it is that he puts in front of you, make a commitment to say, God, I'll just say yes to that thing. Here's what I promise you. I promise you, you won't feel like it. I just promise you, when you say you're going to fear God, you're not going to feel like it. It's not innate within us. You know what's innate within us? Sin. And sin says, mine, no, I'll do it my way. So I promise you, in this next thing that God brings your way, you're not going to want to do it. But make a decision to do it. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Why don't you guys all stand back here as well? God bless you. Be encouraged today. In Jesus' name. That's what's next. Amen. Why don't you turn and introduce yourself to somebody.